0: You're listening to Systems Thinking for Kids, the podcast for teachers and others who want to help kids learn through understanding systems because everything is connected. On Systems Thinking for Kids, you'll hear conversations about how to illuminate connections for kids in the classroom, the community, and everywhere in the world. Systems Thinking for Kids is a project of the Wildwood Outreach Center at Wildwood School in Los Angeles. This is Systems Thinking for Kids. Your host is Jody Becker.
1: My guest on this episode of Systems Thinking for Kids is the Friends of the Chicago River Educator of the Year, Melitza Rodriguez. Yes, it was a year of mostly online learning, but Melitza leaned into using a systems approach to teach her second graders about Chicago's vital internal waterway, and we'll hear all about how it unfolded in the classroom and the community. Melitza has been an elementary school teacher in the Chicago Public Schools for 23 years, the last 16 at the Nettle Horse School on the north side. She knows a lot about teaching to meet state standards because she's taught mostly third grade, and now she's enjoying the shift to teaching second grade. Educator of the year in this challenging year, how did she do it? We'll hear all about it. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jody. I'm wondering if you can tell me... Did your kids already know about the systems approach and how did you land on starting the year this way?
0: So my students did not know about systems mapping or the approach to it. So I started just with a simple Chicago map and thinking about the systems that are visible in the city to them. And I think that children are naturally systems thinkers, so they just went with it. They saw the nature system, the traffic system, the government system. And when we got to the nature system, that branched out into all the systems that were connected to nature. Water, and then water led to Lake Michigan. It led to the Chicago River. And then when we got to the Chicago River, that is where they started naming all of the animals. And of course, I think our wildlife here in Chicago, if you go to Lake Michigan, yes, it's there. But I think it's more personal and up close when you go to the Forest Preserve, which runs by the beautiful Chicago River. So the students just
1: connected. So the systems thinking approach was appealing to your students. But of course, that's sort of invisible to them. Can you talk about how you got to the systems Thinking and why it seemed like a natural fit for the online year. About
0: five years ago, I went to this wonderful workshop conference from the Progressive Education Network. And I ended up at an Imaginative Inquiry workshop where we use pretend creativity drama to learn the curriculum. And at the Imaginative Inquiry Workshop, I met Monique Marshall, who is from the Wildwood Outreach Center. And we heard that, you know, she was giving presentations. I saw the systems thinking workshop and as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I've been looking for. A way to deepen the thinking, a way to give students voice and choosing how they want to approach their learning, which is Different. Imagine imaginative inquiry does have a lot of you know student voice and how to amplify their voice. But now when we're getting into the curriculum, into the academics and the learning and the approach of like what are they going to read? What are these topics that we are going to be exploring? Systems thinking was just the right fit. You make this map, children are systems thinker, they're going to guide you to their topic of interest and what they want to learn in the year. And then as a teacher, you just look at the assistance map. At the end of the day, I just stare at it. And very easily and fluidly, I can just plug in the standards. And at the same time, they are in control of their learning. They're choosing what they want to learn and how they want to learn. But I'm just giving them the resources that they need.
1: That sounds appealing on a number of levels. And one, which is kind of counterintuitive, is that the student-driven learning actually fits with the standards. I think that some teachers might be skeptical, like, yeah, this is going to be all over the place. I have certain benchmarks that I have to meet. And you're describing a really organic process where actually it does match up. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: It was very fluid, very organic. when creating the map, and you know as I shared earlier it 's just so easy just to sit back and just look at it, and all that you have to do is just look at the standards that you have to teach. You look at the map and you will realize that you will teach beyond and above the standards that were even given to you to teach that year. The only thing that comes in isolation is math is a little bit trickier, you know, to fit in, but you can look at the reading. Okay, now I know that I'm going to bring books and we're going to be analyzing nonfiction books, you know, about the river and the animals of the river and and habitats and ecosystems. I know that in science, we can talk about erosion. We can study different ecosystems. I know that in social studies, we can study the history of the Chicago River and how the Chicago River was used long ago.
1: So in your personal history as a third grade teacher, obviously standards are very important. In second grade, there's a little bit less pressure, but you're well acquainted with what those standards are that you have to teach to. Can you just bring us a little bit closer to some of the lessons and what the kids were asking for and then how you connected them with standards?
0: students were very interested in learning about the animals of the Chicago River, of course. And I think there's no better way to learn about animals and their ecosystem than studying animals in your backyards. There's no better way. We studied animals that they rarely see, but we talked about the eagles. There are eagles by the Chicago River, beavers (laughs) and below believe it or not. We have foxes, we have snapping turtles, we have crayfish, and it's one of the big units already tied into our science curriculum. And it was fascinating for them to learn that, wow, we have crayfish in the Chicago River. So we have deer that they see on hiking trails when they're with their parents and chipmunks and rabbits. Many of them have gone fishing Lake Michigan, we, they know now that they cannot do that at the Chicago River. And the microorganisms that are vertebrates that are found in the Chicago River as well.
1: One of the challenges for you is that in, quote, normal times, you would probably have made a field trip, if not several field trips, to investigate some of the things that the kids were interested in and that you were studying. But you found a way around it. So can you talk a little bit about how you... Brought the kids to the river or brought the river to the kids?
0: It was very interesting to try and figure out a way to bring the river to the students since class was virtual. I had to reach out to the Friends of the Chicago River. There is an amazing, an amazing educator by the name of Mark Hauser, who collaborates with teachers. He went to the river. He filmed a virtual field trip. He gave access to my students to see it. And then maybe a few days later, we had him come to our class as a guest visitor. And he took them on this imaginary trip. Everything was right by the river and how the river was used long ago in the 1600s, 1700s, the big changes that happened in the 1800s, 1900s till present day Chicago.
1: You managed to bring the river to the kids and And the kids were on fire, it sounds like, so they also did a number of things that involved the community. Can you talk about their museum? And I think there was also a fundraiser, is that right?
0: That's right. My students decided, like midway through our study of the Chicago River, they decided that it's unfair that we have lost this river. It's unfair to them that they cannot enjoy it the way it was enjoyed hundreds of years ago. So they asked the question, how can we bring our river back? What do we need to do? So we brought Mark again, and he did give us some suggestions and things that we could do. We need to clean the river, and how to bring conservation, and bring the prairie back. And my students decided, well, how do we do this? And one of the ways is just to support an organization. So we chose the Friends of the Chicago River and my students decided that they were going to start a fundraiser and we only had two weeks, two weeks to wrap this up before we went on spring break. So they designed flyers, they created slideshows, they read more about Friends of the Chicago River efforts and wrote persuasive letters to family and friends and invited them to a poetry um, slam that they had organized with poems about the Chicago River and paintings that they auctioned. It was also a silent auction. And in two weeks, they raised about $800.
1: And you sent us a recording of Adam H. reading his poem. So we'll listen to that now.
0: A beautiful river born long ago, home to animals and plants and roaming human friends. New settlers arrived. They loved it and quickly dived to make it their home, or see if Chicago was born. The river now is flowing backwards to keep our city clean. Giant bridges open with a warm welcome to boats big and small, adults, children and all. Magical tall structures appear, look, like pop-up buildings in a children's book. They reflect on the water as if our world is upside down. The river twists and turns like a slithering snake on the hunt in town. Busy ducks quacking all day make friends with sleepy turtles catching a sunray. Colorful birds chirp, bringing happiness and joy to all around. The sun comes and goes, and life around the river
1: slows. Good night, Chicago River friends. Thank you for your care. Amazing. Before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about how the systems study in the classroom sparked conversation with the broader community. I think you also mentioned to me that the maps created a dialogue in the school and that conversation is ongoing.
0: It is an ongoing conversation. When you walk, by, now we are in person. So now I, teachers now the systems maps are visible to everyone. And when everyone walks in or sees them out in the hallway, they ask, what are you doing? What is that? How does that work? So I, it's starting this conversation and it's a long conversation to have, right? It's, it's so long. So it's starting conversations. Do we need a workshop? Like, where could we go to learn more about it? So I give them the gist. I tell them not to be afraid that it looks complicated and messy, but that's what systems are. And I also explain that they, just have to take a leap of faith and just start small. Just start just with one map because I just started with just a simple Chicago community map. And I even, I think I sent you a picture of it as well. Just, a systems map, and it started very, very simple just with Chicago and the communities found in Chicago, and that branched out to something that has taken over my classroom. I don't have any more space up on the wall to put another systems map, and students are bringing their own from home as well and adding on to it, and just walking into my classroom and seeing the journey that we've taken all year is impressive, and it's amazing, and it shows how important systems thinking is to my students because it is they enjoy teaching others about it. They enjoy taking others on a journey of their school year and what they've learned and their passions and their interests and where they're going to take their learning next. So it's not only listening to me, it's also listening to my students because their voice is important. They can explain it way better than I can. So that buy-in and that enthusiasm and passion I think that that's what's important. That's what administration sees. That's what parents sees. That's what staff sees. And that's what everyone wants for children.
1: So, Melissa, let me ask you, as a veteran teacher, it sounds like teaching using the systems approach has been a real shift for you. As we're wrapping this episode up, can you talk a little bit about your own professional journey and how this feels and where it fits for you in your work? I have always, and I mean
0: always wondered how to create meaningful units that amplify student voice that is authentic and fluid. Always, my whole teaching career. And system thinking enhances the inquiry that I have done all year and never knew how to deepen. It encourages students to think in systems and deepen their understanding as well and how the world functions. But most importantly, it has empowered my students. It has empowered my teaching. And I think and I truly do believe that my students will be lifelong learners. And I know this because they're creating their own systems that map and pursuing their own topics of interest and in learning at home.
1: So it's just occurring to me as you're saying that, and I want to make sure that we tuck this in. Your students are second graders, but of course everybody walks through the door with different levels of learning and different experiences at home and in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how systems works for all of those learners, no matter who they are when they walk through the door?
0: I truly do believe that it works for any learner. Their age does not matter their ability in reading or writing does not matter. Because even having these students, I'm also an EL teacher, and how do I approach the students that are not don't even speak the language yet or write it? So bringing them in, and they feel so connected to it by just drawing, because they're drawing their systems map, and also having students that are seeing all of the social injustices happening in our world right now, taking it to a different level, and just speaking about activism, and being allies to others, not just to the Chicago River. But I could tell you that what came out of the Chicago River and activism when it comes just to being aware of our world and the systems and when they're broken and how to fix them, this has led to students choosing other passion projects that they want to activate for. Even if you have a student that says, I don't know what to learn about it. I don't have a passion. You can just give them any system. Any, Just think about anything. Because they're a systems thinker, they will create a system map of their own through writing or drawing and then start asking questions, seeking the answers to those questions. And then once they've learned them, of course, they want to teach the world about it.
1: Melitza Rodriguez, thank you so much for sharing with us everything that you did this year and telling us the behind the scenes of how you became recognized as Educator of the Year by the Friends of the Chicago River. This podcast is really meant to be peer-to-peer information on how systems work, and I cannot think of an illumination that might be more inspiring. Thank you very much for being my guest. I hope you'll come back. Thank you, Jody.
0: You've been listening to Systems Thinking for Kids. For more ideas and information, find us online at systemsthinkingschools.org and check out our stories on Instagram at systemsthinkingschools. Thank you for listening.